Welcome to episode one of series two of our OR Talks podcast. Today I'll be joined by two special guests, two VAT special guests, no less, to discuss overseas VAT and also we'll be discussing liquidations and insolvency. Here are your hosts, Neil Seeger and Mark Jovanovic. So today we are very privileged to have one of our VAT specialists with us. Today we have Jacob with us. So, and we've also got Mark as well, obviously, Mark's, Mark's, we're not so not privileged to have you, though, because you yeah. sort of feature every every time. Yeah, I'm not a back specialist, though, so I'm going to learn a lot here, I reckon. Okay, well, so we'll find out, won't we? Yeah. You might be more of a back specialist than you think you are. Definitely not. <laughs> well, well, we'll let Jacob yeah. uh, do the judge of that at the end. So, so Jacob, so what's hot and interesting in your world at the moment? So, I think um, the, the work we do and what we're finding with our clients is, um, land and property seems to be a really key area and one that's quite complex, quite misunderstood, and it has very serious um, financial um, implications if, if if things go wrong, um, being the nature of it being properties and the values that we're speaking about. So is that residential and commercial? That's Yeah, that's true. That's both. And that, that's where some of them, that's a good question because that's where some of the confusion is. So for instance, for new residential uh, properties, generally the supply is zero rated. So there's no VAT. Um, commercial it's the opposite it tends to be um, exempt and I think that that causes some confusion it, um, so is that just new bills also that. yeah yeah that's right so that's new bill so if it's an existing residential property then then that's different if it's a new bill which new is classed as within three years then it will be zero rated um and anything related to that to the construction of that will also be zero rated and so um what we found sometimes is there can be that confusion about um about commercial and residential properties um in so terms was, of sorry sorry to interrupt you, but if i was to put so if, i'm just going to put that into into my terms i'm a builder okay mm-hmm. i buy a plot of land i build a nice new house okay it's, it's lovely and then i so I, then every thing that I, I buy so my my cement and my bricks and all that sort of stuff i'll have do i have i have vat on those that i can reclaim the vat on is that so so that 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 supply that you provide will all be zero rated as long as it's linked and it's within the construction phase of yeah. the property then that will be zero rated so what's the difference between um zero rated and exempt then how does that what's the difference in there yeah um yeah um and, and this we find as well is a common misconception to people from the perspective of the trader um they will just think well i'm not paying VAT, so yeah for my purposes really you know it's, it's the same thing but but yeah. there's a big difference if it's exempt then what it means is whatever's linked to it can't be reclaimed. So any right. input tax income that you can't reclaim when you purchase, whereas if it's zero rated, even though you won't be charging back on it, but you can reclaim for your costs, you can reclaim the VAT that you've incurred to make that supply. And that's the key thing. Um, and also as well with zero rated, it's very easy for the government, as we realized in COVID-19, to just change the um, rate of yeah. VAT. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had that with the um, um, hospitality sector where they reduce it temporarily, um, whereas if it's exempt, it requires a lot more work in terms of changes to law and inspections and yeah. policies. Yeah, so really you want to be zero rated rather than exempt, don't you? Because you can claim it back there. Yeah, that yes. makes sense. And also for about registration purposes, um, exempt suppliers aren't considered as part of the turnover. Right, so when we're talking about that, so we're talking about the 85,000 there. So we're talking about if I've got, you know, if I've got my sales, for for eight, for I know hundred thousand yeah. and twenty thousand pounds of that was to be exempt. Yeah. 
then I don't I don't have to register for VAT because I haven't exceeded the eighty five thousand. Yes, that's quite it. Put it in in, in sort of nil terms. Yeah, that was good. That's his own That's well. Thanks. I'm quite good. I can take twenty from a hundred and get eighty. There you are. Shouldn't job as an accountant, really, should not. The, the fact that you wrote it down, Neil, hasn't it? It does. Everybody can see Well, you worked out for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, just going back to sort of where where we said about the um, the, the properties and stuff, and the, and the misconceptions that people have. Obviously, we've got what exempt and, and and zero rated, and we had residential, didn't we? Yeah. So, so more so, so for the commercial side of things, yeah. If I'm building a, I don't know, a commercial unit or buying a commercial unit, what what do I need to be aware of in, in that? And what are people? So yeah, so so what would you say is that? So that's a play. So oftentimes, um, that 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 will be an uh, exact player. So and what we would uh, what we recommend is if you do what's called an uh, option to tax, you, then then it becomes a taxable supply, and that you can reclaim the VAT you've incurred, charge VAT on it. It gets quite complicated because the option to tax relates to the entity that actually owns the property. Okay. So um, the confusion is, for instance, if you have a property and you sell part of it and the deeds change and the title deeds, people then get confused about what does the options to tax relate to. It doesn't relate to the title deeds and and and, and those that that separation of the property, it actually relates to okay, um, the, the fact that it's the same owner of that particular part of property, the options tax will relate to that. What that means now is when you sell the property, you have to charge VAT on it, but you can recover the VAT that you've incurred. Where it gets difficult is, and, and for instance, if it's a commercial property and it's been let out um, with the rent as well, that you, you that then you'd be able to um, charge VAT on that rent. Um, and, and, and the confusion sometimes is an options tax is not in place, yet people have, um, for one reason or the other, reclaimed the VAT or inadvertently charged rent. And um, that, that that obviously can be an issue. So. Um, my advice really is to seek advice by a competent firm. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. OR. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and we we uh, specialize in land and property. I have a great colleague, Vic Lucci, Vic Lucci and um, we can uh, give advice on that. And, and, and it's really important to get that right. I can't stress that about the option tax. Um, just the amount of time that I speak to clients and I'll have a discussion with them saying, um, I'm presuming you have an options tax in place and they look at me yeah. and go, like, what on earth yeah, is that? Yeah, exactly. So, because so, what, what one of the things I've seen, and this this is this probably you see this probably more often than I do, is I go along and I don't know, I'm gonna be a mechanic, okay, today. So I'm a mechanic today and I'll go and buy myself a nice unit, okay. They charge me, so it's so I've done a hundred thousand pounds plus fat, just using nice easy numbers. So therefore it's 120,000. I go along and I'm not registered, I'm just you know, I'm turning over 60,000 pounds, whatever. So I'm below the back threshold, I'm not registered. I buy the building and then they come along to us and they say, Oh, I want to claim the back back on the building on the purchase, but you're not back registered. Yeah. So you can't claim the back back at that point. You've yeah. so what what can can you then can you if, if that does happen, can you retrospectively register to be able to claim the back back on that? Or is is that a, yeah, that's a right. no no? No, no. So um when you become back registered, you can uh, go back four years from the date of the back registration to reclaim costs on goods, services, it's within six months. Um and that's one of the things that we always check when a business does get registered and we advise them that that's something to consider as well. And, it's, and that's why it's, it's very important to, to have good record keeping, um, not just for uh, potential intervention um, and compliance activities from revenue and customs, but just for, for these reasons, practically to be able to reclaim what's due to you. Ah, so it's not lost then. So, yeah. I'm, so I, can, I can, you know, ch ch change my, my status effectively from a VAT point of view and still, so I can register today 
I bought the building two years ago, let's just say, I can then claim the VAT back on, on that and not have to go back and charge all my customers yeah. the VAT on the no, 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 the new tyres that I fitted for them two years ago. Yeah, that's a good point to think about, isn't it, really? Four years is quite a long time, isn't it? So there yes. be a lot of expenses in there. So. I'm, 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 I presume not many people are aware of that that four-year well, thing. Yeah, and, but, and there are um, conditions for it, for instance, that it, so for instance, they say it has to be um, stuff on hand and it's not completely used up and and so forth, the same services, and obviously it has to be for business purposes, but um, that's something to definitely explore and to look into, and a competent advisor, tax advisor will be able to. Yeah, we'll just go through that, and so that, that's where they come to that point, and we go through the goods and the service yeah. and the stock and all those sort of things, but in, in, in you know, the, the big capital purchases, like a, like a building, you know, you don't buy them every year, yeah. well, some people do, <laughs> um, but, and on the flip side of that, let's just say I buy it as a property as an investor, Okay, and um, it's got the option to tax on it, and all that sort of stuff. So I've clever kind of VAT. I've I've listed myself as a VAT, and there's obviously a clear option to tax on it. But my tenant that comes in there isn't that registered, and then asks me, "Is there any way that you can't charge me VAT?" So therefore, obviously, if I'm still that registered, I have to charge them VAT, obviously. But if can 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 I then effectively claim the VAT back on the purchase, and then deregister from VAT, so I don't have to charge my customer through VAT. Um, yes, that's possible. Okay, so, so okay, so you can so see, yeah, so it was on my turnover and all that sort of stuff yeah. fits that. That's something because because obviously I'm yeah. sure that's one of the people get asked quite yeah. a lot if they buy a commercial premises. Oh, come on, mate, I'm, not, I'm a new trader. Any chance you, you can not charge me VAT? Well, no, I've got to. Yeah. So how can can you if you buy a property and it's not got an option to tax on it, can you then put it on there? So if it stops you from doing that? No, no. It, it, yeah, it um it. It can be done. The only issue is if it's a transfer of a bond concern, it needs to be yeah. at the time for that to be considered a transfer of a bond concern, and then um, no back would be due. But but generally, when you buy a property um, that you can later on um, apply for an options tax, it's worth knowing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So when we say transfer of going concern, that means transferring of a of a of, a, of an active business across. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. Not everybody else will, will know what going concern yeah. going concerns, yeah. and then that sort of sort of things mean. So with the so then we, when we're looking at the it's obviously capital goods scheme and, and, and that sort of thing. So what what is the capital goods scheme and what what, what does that mean? So um the capital goods scheme lists certain items. Um a good one is that property, which is over the value of 250,000. And it's where that um there's there, there is a recognition of mixed use on the property. So some of it will be business related, some of it will be private. Therefore, that's reflected in what you can reclaim. So obviously, generally speaking, if you have um, something which is 100% for business use, then, then you should be able to reclaim fully for it. But obviously, if it's 50-50, then it makes sense that that, that will be apportioned in that way. So um, that's done over a 10-year period um, for properties. Um, and so one of the areas here is with commercial properties, where whereby um, if, it, if when you sell it, it's exempt, uh, and then you have an option to tax in place, right? So um, then the, what, what you reclaimed for it previously, you might have to repay um, some of that about HMRC. And that's why it's very important to understand the, the implications of, of doing that. Oh, so what, what a curveball that is. Yeah. That's, it, does, it does sound like a bit of a minefield, to be fair. I mean, it, it, it does sound like if you've got any, anything to do with the commercial premises, that sort of stuff, please let us know. Indeed, yeah, absolutely. And then I'll ask you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yeah. It's uh, it's another one of those to be prepared for, isn't it? Oh, yes. So, so you'll see this, you'll hear this quite a lot. So, Mark's little like slogan, really, he's got for himself now is basically, what is it, Mark? This is to be prepared, plan ahead, plan ahead. Yeah, you've yes. got two there now. <laughs> I, I, I emphasize that enough. Just how 
frustrating it can be to have people retrospectively seek advice and say, yeah. I've done this and, and, and I want and prevention is better than cure. So we always say seek that advice before you make the transactions and make those purchases. Um you know, and 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 then we can advise on it and then you can do it properly and it will be obviously financially beneficial. Yeah. It's always easier to do things to get the advice at the start, isn't it? Yes. And be prepared for what you're gonna do. Yeah, because respectively then... you're limited in what you can do then, aren't you? Yeah. Whereas before you've done it, there's options and we can explore those and you're on the back back foot, aren't yeah. you? Whether that be ownership from a tax point of view, from a VAT point of view, from a from a registration point of view, whichever those things things be, we can actually then point in the right direction of where things can be and actually pull in our specialists that we've got in all the different areas because they've, they've as a specialist they've all got different areas but you know like you know i wouldn't ask you about the, the capital gains tax implications but i'd ask you i'd mark that and but i'd ask i'd ask you the implication on the vat yes you might be a secret um capital gains tax expert i suppose you kept it quiet how many views then yeah <laughs> at the end of this mark there's a quite there's a quiz for you quiz, okay? okay brilliant <laughs> you're making notes so is there anything else that, that comes up quite quite a lot in in your world so i mean um the one thing now that i think is interesting is from the first of jan this year there's 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 been a big overhaul with the 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 regime about um penalties for late filings of back returns and so forth um and so i think yeah um i i there, there seems to be mixed opinions on the matter whether it's 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 better now for customers or not. I think it's it's reassuringly more favourable. Um, it's based on a point system. So what 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 was it before? You'll have to refresh my memory. But to be fair, I don't I don't know what the what yeah. penalties were before. I knew there were penalties and surcharges and all sorts of nasty things. But what were they? What what what? Would you... I, I, I'd have to refresh my own memory. But it's That's what makes the new system. <laughs> yeah. So the new, I'm quite interested in the new system. To be fair, because I think it's going to also be brought in for like income tax and corporation tax yeah. further down the line, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, I think the next two years. Yeah. yeah so so it, I'm interested it, to learn how it works with VAT. So, yeah. so okay, so it's based on a point system. So if you miss a VAT return, then then you're given a point. And in, in terms, and there's a threshold that you reach where then you'll receive your penalty of 200 pounds. Now, the question is, um, what is that threshold? Well, that depends on the submission frequency. So if it's annual, it'll be two. If it's quarterly, it'll be four. And if it's monthly, it'll be five. So for most for most purposes, most businesses, they've got, um, within a 12-month period, the threshold will be they reach four, four points at then they'll be given a £200 penalty and subsequent penalties um, will be £200 as well. So I get points, so what do I get points for? Late yeah. submission and late payment. Yes. Would that be two points? That'd be two, yeah. yeah. So if I, yeah, so if I, yeah, file it wrong, file it wrong, I'll put, hopefully I don't, <laughs> file it late and then pay it late, that's two. two. I do that for two quarters on the bounce, I'm getting a £200 penalty. Yeah. And then if I then, for the third one, do exactly the same thing again, that's another £200 and then £200. And then in terms of in terms of the penalty as well, it depends on um how late it is. So that the, um if it's it could be up to 15 days and then you've got 16 to 30 and then more than 30 days, that will determine as well of, of what that penalty would be for late payments. So it has changed an awful lot from a, yeah. a straight surcharge point of view from each, you know, each quarter's submission or, or whatever it be to a point system. Yeah. But actually it gives you a bit of a, a bit of a warning because if you do either submit it late or you know pay it late yeah. as a one-off. You know, it's it's one of those things. Yep. But if you're a repeat offender, then yeah. you're going to end up getting you know caught by a fixed sum instead of having it a variable which was based on a surcharge, a percentage of the VAT liability, like it used to be. It's two hundred pound. Yeah, two hundred pound. I mean, they, they mount up pretty quick if you keep doing it wrong. <laughs> I don't know. 
But it's on about your behaviour over a period of time, isn't it? So yeah. they're going to let you off and it's a one-off. You're going to get away with it, aren't you? But if you're consistently filing late, then yeah. you're going to get stung. And, you, and, and, and probably rightly so, to be yeah. fair. But then, you know, you'd like to think so, using professionals. Uh, so, so basically how it works is for late submissions, it's a, a, a £200 penalty. But for late payments, it goes off. Um, it, it's, it's a different system in terms of what's calculated at 2%, depending on um, how late it is oh okay okay right so i see i see how that that, that works so yeah so it's sort of yeah interesting so you're, you're still the point system yeah it's still still exactly yeah. how interesting yeah. yeah it seems a lot more complicated on the face of it isn't it but i suppose once we get into this sort of way of dealing with the penalties absolutely yeah it's so with everything when it first comes in it's yeah. a bit more complicated it first comes in the same with that with mt you know with mtd with the submissions yeah. having to suddenly go from this Nice little HMRC portal to buy a you know a software yeah. you know that 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 sort of blew everyone's mind to start with and now it's like oh, it's just submitted through software yeah it's progress and, and, progress and that, that's a pro yeah progress and as long as you prepared for it Mark yeah, it's, exactly, it's not yeah. a problem hopefully you know you, you never prepare for penalties you always prepare to submit it and pay it on time indeed that's it Ho hopefully it makes everyone's life sorted that's the aim yeah I, I suppose <laughs> it makes yeah. record keeping is key as they say at um, revenue custom because it. It obviously helps to forecast a plan to meet your liabilities, also identify issues and, and, and potential problems in the future. And um, but it's obviously easier said than done. I can understand sometimes with businesses they can, um, because of their businesses and how busy they are, they can sometimes put that that to a side and, and and not maintain good record keeping. But it's important as well because if you are subject to an inspection um, by revenue and customs, one of the things they'll definitely check is how you maintain your records, how you yeah. know what you came to know. And and as a former VAT officer. Um, at Revenue and Customs, I can tell you firsthand how important that is and how useful and favourable it is uh, to the inspector um, to see that you've made that effort um, and therefore your credibility is. So the key, the key is really through software, isn't it? Because software yes, links yeah. to your bank, you can take pictures of your invoices and all that sort of stuff. You know, so obviously I can assume that's quite nice rather than yeah. turn up and seeing a box of receipts and somebody's, you know, handwritten <laughs> piece of paper that they hand over or used to submit. Yeah. So obviously it's made everything easier for everybody. You know, people can use your forecast, as you say, what their liability is going to be and know at any point what their liability is going to be before they get a scary thing at the end of the back quarter. Um, and then they've suddenly got, what was so, for one month and one week to find to find the money to pay it. Yeah. Um, so they can keep on top of that. And also and it makes everyone's life easier. And I yeah. mean, like for small businesses, I mean, one of the most common reasons why people don't register for VAT on time is it is that reason that they don't realise they exceeded the threshold. It's a rolling turnover. Yeah. Um, they didn't have good record keeping in place. Um, they, they had certain surges or spikes throughout the year that were unpredicted that that have caused them to exceed the threshold. Um, and it's important to therefore have good record keeping to avoid that because um, obviously then if, if it's a if it's a late register if, if it is a late registration, you could potentially get penalised for that, and all these things will be taken into account when they're determining what the penalty would be. Yeah, I mean, it causes loads of issues, doesn't it? It causes you to pay your penalties, and it also causes you have to go back and charge the customs you hadn't charged the VAT, VAT, because all of a sudden yeah. you now should have charged the VAT. You hadn't realised you had to, and then it's a really yeah. embarrassing situation for everybody at that point. It doesn't make you very popular with your customers either, does it? So no. yeah, you want to avoid that. Particularly not if it's a hundred grand invoice. Yeah. You've got another twenty grand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, not really. Yeah, touching on your background though, that's quite <laughs> useful. Like experience for us to have as a firm, isn't it? You knowing what HMIC would be looking at and things like that, and things to look out for. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think that's why I'm a, a valued asset to the firm. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm quite, uh, you know, that, that's what I certainly bring to the table. I've, I've, this month, I've been involved with two clients who are subject to compliance checks and yeah. um, need to meet with them to kind of 
go through their records, explain to them what you can expect um, to be looked at, what are potential high-risk areas to prepare them well for it. And I think that's that's really important and useful to have someone who's just um, made the transition so recently. Yeah, 100%. It's invaluable, I think, isn't it? You yeah. can reassure people about what the process is going to be like and what they're looking at, what they're going to ask. There's nothing better than be, having somebody come for a pre-inspection inspection yeah. who happens to be an ex-inspector. So... Thank, thank you, Jacob, for, for being with us and thanks for answering our questions and, and bringing your hot topics to us. Yeah, thank you. I've learned a lot there, so, yeah. Thank you. So our new VATS inspector is Mark. Not um, a chance. I'll, <laughs> stick, I'll stick to my tax. I'll let Jacob keep in VAT. It's uh, not my area. <laughs> so next we have with us, so Vic. Vic is also one of our VAT geniuses. So, so Vic, so thank you for being with us today. Thank you for the invitation. So, uh, well, we'll see how we feel in about 10 minutes. Now, <laughs> yeah, you, might, you might not be saying thank you after. <laughs> so, 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 Vic, so from, from your point of view, obviously, we've heard, we've heard from, uh, from, from Jake and, and how, uh, and, and, you know, how, what, what's going on in, in, from Jake's point of view. So, from your point of view, what's, uh, what's a hot topic? What's hot in your world? Um, um, we need to, to look at all the changes after Brexit, um, especially for um, the companies that, uh, uh, are still doing a uh, transaction in Europe. Okay. So um, there are a lot of changes and I will separate because um, um, let's have a look first at business to business transaction. Okay. So if before when we was in EU, we are um, having um, for goods yeah. um, intra-community supply of goods or intra-community acquisition of goods. Now, um, if you are selling in Europe, you are doing an export of goods. And if you are yeah. uh, bringing <laughs> goods from Europe in you are, UK, goods. You are importing goods. Yeah. yeah. Um, the best thing is that we have the postman VAT. And um, this is a good point for the um, company cash flow. Yeah. So no need to pay VAT and wait to get the refund. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, we have the um, river charge mechanism for uh, postman VAT in the VAT return, and it's easy for the company to uh, deal with uh, this cash flow. Yeah. Um. Now, um, before Brexit, the main advantage being in Europe and doing transaction with other. European companies, um, there are a lot of simplification rules like triangulation transaction or call of stocks, depending on the business activity of the company. So now, um, for example, if you want to buy some goods from Italy and your client is, um, your customer is situating Germany, yeah, and um, you will not do an import in UK, and export um, an import of the goods from Italy and UK and export of the goods from to, UK to, to Germany. Germany. Even though the goods haven't touched it, even if the goods haven't touched it. Yeah. Um, you will have to look in to get a PAT registration in Europe and still use the simplification rule with, oh, right. the triangulation, uh, with the triangulation transaction. So um, if you get a uh, PAT registration in Ireland, for example, um, using the simplified, um, 
simplification rules like uh, triangulation transaction, you can move your goods from Italy to Germany without any VAT implications. Because, because they're still both in Europe. Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah. So the key is that that we're that we're not anymore, and and the people, people I can imagine forget that quite quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> to get the back registration in another country in the EU, do you have to have an establishment there or? No, no? You, um, you can um, be um, non-resident, yeah. no need to be established, and you can only register for the VAT purpose there. Okay, that's quite interesting, yeah. Yeah, so that makes things a, a little bit easier. Yeah. It? So you, have to, you can be a UK registered, say, limited company, and have register of registrations in, in Germany and in, in Italy, and, and indeed here. You know, obviously you should have here anyway, if you've yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got it here. <laughs> so this is the easy solution to get an European VAT registration. But if you are uh, doing the transaction without seeking for advice before, yeah, please, yeah. You'll, um, you can move the goods from Italy to Germany, but your Italian supplier will charge you Italian VAT on the invoice, even if the goods leave Italy. And yeah, yeah. Are, uh, the place of supply is in Germany. Yeah. So you will have to get a VAT registration in Germany doing an um, intra community acquisition of goods. Yeah. And um, you'll um, have to sell the goods with uh, German VAT. So, so, what, so, what I can't final. do is I can't be a UK registered limited company. Do my truck, say buy my goods from 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 Italy, say sell them in Germany. So I are they, I can't reclaim the Italian VAT in, in, on my VAT return in in the UK and then charge UK VAT to Germany and just forget all that. Can I? I have to do it register properly. Yeah, uh, what it is interesting now after Brexit is that um, some European country um, have some agreements with the UK. And it's more easy to make business in that countries. But for example, we don't have any agreement with Italy. So um, if you are buying goods without being registered in Europe from Italy and want to move or to sell in Germany, um, your Italian supplier will invoice uh, you with Italian VAT. Yeah. And um, in order to be able to to claim back that VAT in Italy, you will have to get a VAT registration in Italy. Yeah. And um, the main condition is to prove that the uh, VAT that you are claiming, um, um, it's um, part of ongoing transaction in Italy. So it's not, if it's one off transaction, you will not be able to recover yeah. the VAT. Okay. You need okay. to prove that you are doing business in Italy and it's on ongoing business in order to get the VAT registration. And, uh, and that's why it's so important to contact specialists, isn't it? Because, yes. you know, well, I, I, would, I wouldn't know, to be no. fair, uh, who's, uh, who we got agreements with, who we haven't got agreements with. And I wouldn't have known. I would have just thought, well, it's a, it's a transaction in Italy, whether it's a one-off or not. I'm going to register. Yeah. And then, but you can't do that either. So that's why it's so valuable, as, as we, we said when uh, when Jake was with us, that you know that that it's so important to contact specialists because that's what you guys are, are fant fantastic yeah. at, isn't it? So, as a UK company, is there any country in the EU in particular that's best to register for VAT, in, or does it not matter? It's matter because there are twenty seven yeah. countries, yeah, 
So, for example, um, from, if you are bringing goods outside Europe, in Europe, the best place to do the imports of the goods is in the Netherlands. Okay. They have a lot of, uh, they have um, uh, Article 23, and you can postpone VAT, no need to pay. So, will be uh, a good point for your cash yeah. flow. And ah. um, from there, you can um, distribute your goods everywhere in Europe. So yeah, see, this is the thing that's worth coming and speaking to us about because I wouldn't have known that. No. At all. Um, now, from uh, 1st January 2022, we also have this postponed VAT in France. Okay. So it's another, another good country, yeah. another option to looking for um, some simplification rules and um, make your business more easy in Europe. Yeah. And that just shows how it's changing as well then all the time. So it's always worth seeking new advice, even if you think you've sought advice in the past and you think you know it. It's always worth double checking that nothing's changed because you're able to keep up with it like we wouldn't be able to, would we? Oh, no, absolutely not. No, no. It's the same as your tax. It's always changing. There's always things changing. It's, it's, you know, invaluable, as I say, having experts like you guys to to sort of help us with these sort of things, to be honest. Well, I mean, there's only so much Googling you can do. You know, Google, Google tells porcupine sometimes. It takes you so, down some bad, bad roads as well. It, 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 does, it, does, it does tell you some, some things that you, should, you, you shouldn't, uh, things that you shouldn't, and some things that you should do. And uh, so I'm, don't worry, I'm not being dragged in. I'm not being dragged in by you. <laughs> and you need to be sure that your source of information is correct and yeah. accurate because well, there are a lot of changes every day. Well, yeah, you know, you might find a page that was on yeah. Google from three years ago which is now no longer valid because there's been two or three changes since yeah. that. And anyone can put anything on the internet. It doesn't mean it's true, does it? No. So, yeah, have a qualifications to put things yeah. on Google. Exactly. Well, you did. better to ask before <laughs> and, 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 something. And it goes back to, to, to Jake's side of things as well, doesn't it? That, you know, when we're talking about, you know, doing something or you're looking to do some trade and, you know, looking to buy a commercial property or do some trade in, in, in the EU somewhere, and it, or even outside the UK, it doesn't matter if it's in the EU, that you've got to check with, you know, what what the what the things to be aware of are. Um, when we are talking about land and property, um, the base of BT rules is that the BT is typically where the land and the building is uh, located. So, so uh, again, you know, it's it's one of those you're going to go and buy a premises in Spain, for example, not holiday home, but you know, a, a, a business premises yeah. over there. Then you know, it's been been aware, and you know, their rules again for like holiday homes or that sort of stuff will be different to ours here. Their VAT rules over yeah. there will be, it'll be different to our ones here. Well, I assume they are. I'm not a Spanish fat expert or tax expert, but I'm assuming they probably are. Uh, we are working with a lot of uh, external consultants, so. Um... If we have with one of our clients this kind of situation, for sure we'll be able to advise him and guide him to do the right things. Yeah, yeah. That's um, it. We have contacts in all different countries, don't we? That we yes. can go to. Um, so. We are part of the Morrison Network yeah. and we have specialists all over the world, not only in Europe. So um, when we uh, have a query with one of our clients and it's um, outside, the UK, we always um, get an external consultant to guide us. Yeah, exactly. And the amount of people that, you know, accountants that I've spoken to that, that will just do that stuff on Google. Yeah. They will Google what the rules are in other countries. 
which is, I mean, obviously we are privileged that we are part of the Morrison Group, so we can actually, you know, speak to, uh, you know, I had one a couple of weeks ago, which is an American issue, and we spoke to the American accountants. Yeah. You know, and their rules are very, very different over in America. Um, so, you know, so it's, it's handy having those sort of people. Not only have we got experts in-house, we've also got overseas ones yeah. that utilise via our, our network. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? It works both ways. So we get referrals from them as well from all over the world. Yeah. People dealing with the UK issues, so... So it's a good partnership. We all yeah. we all sort of work really well together as well. It's a, it is, you know, I can tell you, I can tell you from my experience with them, it, it works spot on with it with a yeah. overseas accountants and tax advisors. So we, we, within your, um, is there, is there any other things that are cropping up? Yeah. Think? So we only talk about business to business transaction now. Let's have a look at the business to consumer transaction. Yeah. Oh. When a UK company is selling goods to private individuals, we're in UK. We will have UK VAT. It's easy. Yeah. But if we are selling these goods in Europe, for example, what are the VAT rules? What, what the let, me, let me just Google. Let me Google. You'd assume you charge the UK VAT, wouldn't you? That would be. Now, the question is where the stock of goods are located? Are in the UK, are in Europe? From where you are selling these goods? Okay. So if they are in the UK and you are selling in Europe, you need to look, um, so you can go and register in each European country, which is uh, yeah um, um, the hard thing to do. Yeah. But um, now for from 1st of July, 2021, we have the um, import one-stop shop part uh, registration, which helps you to sell your goods, which are outside the Europe, in Europe. But there are a few conditions, for example, the value of the goods to be um, equal or under 150 euro and um, if your goods are um, within this um, range 150 euro you can sell the goods and report one return it's monthly return but it's easy that you can report all your sales in all European countries in one return for all 27 countries. Fantastic. Which, yeah. Uh, now, if the value of the goods is higher, uh, you will have um, to look maybe to find a European country where you can have a warehouse and um, have your goods move there. Ah. Because um, you will not be able to apply because for um, import one stop shop um, for goods under 150 euro you will not pay any VAT for right. selling your goods there. Yeah. You only need to collect the VAT from the country of dispatches. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's quite a low threshold, isn't it? 150 yeah. euros, isn't it? It's not high, is it? No, it's uh, equivalent of 135 pounds here, yeah. so no, but it's selling. Yeah, uh, if you're selling hoodies, then you'll be fine. Depends it's, on the hoodies, doesn't it? Well, yeah, if they're not, yeah, very good. Yeah. Shopping where you shop, then you're 135, <laughs> probably won't get me. No, it would, it would, it would, you wouldn't buy your sock to be honest, 135 pounds, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it depends what you're selling, yeah. doesn't it? And you know, so if your goods the value of the goods are higher than 150 euro. You have two options looking for on 
to sell on the online marketplace. And there are two types. When you are selling direct on the website, the yeah. goods on the online marketplace, or when you are selling the goods through the online marketplace, and uh, they are selling direct to the final yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. customer, the goods. So if you are selling through the online marketplace, your goods, and you are selling direct, you are, um, um, it's your responsibility to collect the VAT and pay to the... Yeah, pay, pay to who? The, the relevant authority. Yes, where you get uh, the VAT registration. But um, if you are selling direct to the online marketplace, the VAT responsibility is with the online marketplace, not with you. So it's probably easier <laughs> to it's sell online marketplace, yeah. Well, they might pinch me a profit, though. That's, yeah, that's the downside. Yeah, uh, pros and cons. For example, Amazon has warehouse everywhere in the world, yeah? Yeah. Uh, especially in Europe. So you can move your goods there in the Amazon warehouse, have a contract with them. And um, now, depending how it's better for your business, you can sell direct to Amazon, and they will sell direct to the final client, or you can choose to sell on their website and and, and, and do it yourself yeah. sort of thing yeah 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 but you need to think about the VAT responsibility and I, I'm, I'm sure most people don't no they will just think I'm selling your product and that's it and bury their head in the sand yeah and then come to us and say a bit of a problem but the letter come through <laughs> you won't believe it but that's kind of what I'm, what I'm doing with this letter and then then we've got a problem because then you've got to try and retrospectively register in other countries that aren't necessarily probably easy to register it. Yeah. So how I say if you have the warehouse with the goods in UK, you can look in for um import one stop um registration and um sell the goods under 150 euro in yeah. Europe. But if you are thinking to move your goods or maybe your goods are already in Europe and you want to sell to private individuals in Europe. So you will have to, um, to have a normal VAT registration in the country where the warehouse is situated, and you'll have to have a one-stop uh, shop VAT registration. Uh, what is with this one-stop shop registration? Before Brexit, we had uh, the mini one-stop shop, which was only for electronic services. Starting with 1st July 2020, uh, one we have um one stop shop which means that um uh, all the electronic services can be um reported through this but registration and uh, now the best thing is that you also uh, can include in this but return the goods so we have services and goods to private right. yeah if before each European country had a distance sales threshold for the goods, now we have a European threshold for both goods and services, which is 10,000 euros. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's more easy to get one but registration and collect and pay the VAT in Definitely. one time for yeah. 
all your sales in 27 European countries. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. It, does sound, it does sound like a bit of a minefield, to be fair. Definitely, yeah. You know, and I, I, I would like to claim that I've got half an idea. But if, if people haven't got any idea and this is not anywhere near their specialism, then please shout. Please come and see us. Yeah. I think the, <laughs> the key message is if you're dealing with Europe, get in touch and make sure your BAT live responsibilities are all in line. Yeah. 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 And then let, let, let people like you be the, the, who decide, not you, Mark. Decide actually what needs to be done and then and then take that sort of onus off them a little bit. Yeah. So our advice is. Um... Um, to seek for advice before doing something because it's more easy to prevent than treat. Absolutely. What, what's the what's the motto, Mark? Yeah, always Pre- prepare. Always. The more you prepare, the easier things yeah. are for both of us. You know, for for us as accountants and you guys as as, as, as clients and and you guys as advisors. Really, it's a yes. There are a lot of solution, but um, we need to know exactly what is the business activity, what you want, what you intend to do in the future. Yeah. And in this way, we can find the best solution. Um, if you already done something, it's a little bit hard to um, correct. Even if you correct, you can have some, uh, you can lose some VAT and yeah. you are not able to recover. If it's uh, something from Italy, it's... It can be an expensive a, mistake, can't it? It can be a very yeah. expensive mistake to, to, to make. Yeah. Yeah. So which it's is... better to, when you are, um, I mean... When a company is um, looking to extend the activity um, outside UK, not only in UK, outside the UK, you need to seek for advice and Absolutely. be prepared to know exactly what you have to do. Yeah. Your phones will be red hot after this. If you don't stop, everyone will be like, well, I'm going to Europe, I'm going to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, anyway, uh, well, hopefully for us, but maybe not for you. Have a, have a red hot phone. <laughs> But but yeah, I I actually haven't got any any more any no. questions to be fair on no nor me. I've learned yeah. sorry, I've learned a lot there as well. BAT. That's it. Well, well when, when no one's listening, we'll ask you which one you learn more from. <laughs> 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 no, but no, I, I've learned an awful lot as well. I didn't know well a lot of stuff to be honest that you, that you guys have said. So we really, sort of really appreciate it. Just come and ask. That's like, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. That, and that's the message to me, let alone to, to clients. It's so easy, just come and ask, because um, if you understand and have the full picture of the business activity, it's easy to find solution. Yeah. Sort the of things and um, save some money. And, and that's why it's so good having the specialists that all work together, because I'll understand the business, let's just say, and then and obviously Mark will understand the, the, the personal tax and corporate yeah. tax and crypto tax side of things. And then uh, and then obviously you, you know, coming come with the VAT, which, you know, helps us immensely, really. Yeah, we have all tax in one place and... Um, we have a tax one-stop shop. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> one-stop shop. <laughs> There's our new trap. <laughs> So, so yeah, so all inclusive. All, incl- all inclusive. Yeah. I know that'll give you the wrong idea. People will turn up with, yeah. with, their, with their wristbands. <laughs> time, they? <laughs> <laughs> wristband, they're trying to an ice cream. <laughs> and then I've got to think, well, where's the ice cream come from? Where am I selling it? <laughs> and I'll go, Vic, Vic, what do I do with this? Where am I charging VAT? <laughs> I've got my ice cream from yeah. Italy. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> So no, but I really appreciate you you spending time yeah. with us today and and educating us on on uh, <laughs> yeah, thank the you very European much. side. Thank you very much.
So thanks to uh, to Vic and, and Jake for their knowledge on VAT. I think we've both learned an awful lot on that. Definitely, VAT is not my area, so yeah, I learned a bit there. Uh, especially about the overseas stuff, it was absolutely mind-blowing, to be honest. And it's something that I'm quite glad that that we've got people like that around who can ask questions. That's what we always say, isn't it? We've got specialists in every area, so it's... Uh... In every area, and also it's good to be prepared. Um, prepare for that, that overseas stuff. Give you my t shirt in the club. So, following on from the, from the VAT, one of the other the things that comes up more so in probably, probably my world than, than your world um, is the liquidations and 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 going sort of, yeah, liquidations and um, you know, closing the business down and all that sort of thing that comes with that. Have you come across that much in your world? A little bit. I say it's more in your world, though, isn't it, with the account side? But this is, well, I'm, going to, I'm going to enjoy this. I get to grill you now. I've got so I'm much to chat, isn't it? I'm normally the one who just sits there and does it. We sort of ask yeah. everyone else questions. Yeah. But, 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 yeah, so go on then. Find me a couple of questions. What, what, what so, have you got on liquidation? Let's start with what is a liquidation? What does it mean? So in simple terms, liquidation is effectively just the closure of a limited company. Um, so this is more for limited companies. Obviously, if you're a sole trader or a partnership, it's more bankruptcy, and we're not going to get into that side of things today. It's more just looking at li- liquidations of limited companies. Um, so it's about the, the closure of a limited company, basically selling the assets um, and, and dissolving the company off the official registers so off company's house. Okay, so yeah, when you come to the end of wanting to have your company and you want to shut up shop, for instance. Yeah, I mean, there could be a multiple, could be a few reasons why people yeah. do. Um, it could be that they're um, that effectively the business has come to the point where um, it, it no longer needs to exist. There's no one to take on. There's no succession plan there. It just finishes. There's other sides to, to it where, you know, there's, the company's got debts um, and the trade has disappeared. So therefore they have to then close their business for, for that for that reason. Got you, yeah. So are there different types of doing it then? So if you owe people money or whatever. Yeah, there are actually three types of liquidations there's a creditors voluntary liquidation cvl which is where the company is insolvent and no longer has the ability to trade or the ability to pay its debts and in this case the directors instruct insolvency practitioner to um, come and take over control of the business and then um, to, to liquidate it and help set maybe settle some of those debts Got you. So it's a bit like what happened to my uh, Worcester Warriors with uh, oh, HMIC money. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. you get winding up orders and all that sort of side of things. That's where the, the, they come in. The other type is a member's voluntary liquidation, MVL, which is where the company is still solvent and has the ability to trade, yet the directors of the company wish to close the company down. In this case, they'll they'll also approach an insolvency practitioner um, to um, to to close the company down okay so there you, you see that when you see companies restructure um so they want a branch they don't need anymore they want to you know you, you can effectively you can close a limited company down by what's called a strike off option um the strike off option is great but what that means is it still sort of exists Got in it. the background it can be you know if if a creditor says they're owed money and actually the company shouldn't have been dissolved then they can effectively make the company be what's called resurrected that's another type of thing where actually once a company is liquidated, it goes through a, well, once a company is coming to liquidation or those sort of things happen, they go through an insolvency practitioner. And that person is an independent person of the company. He's, he's a, he might be an accountant or she might be an accountant or, you know, but they're independent people that look at the books 
look at what's happened to the money, look at what's where things have gone and why hasn't that company got the ability to, to pay loans, to pay those yeah. sort of things. And if it's they've taken the loan and put it and bought themselves direct support themselves to Ferrari and the all the shareholders, um, then obviously that's not using the money for commercial reasons. So therefore that they have to verify that the money's been used actually it has just dried up as a result of trade. Yeah. And at that point, because it's dissolved from the register and somebody independent has said it's got no money then it can't be resurrected. No one can have a claim on that anymore. It's it's done. Yeah, so it's like an independent audit of what's going on, basically. Yeah, yeah they, dodgy. that's it. Yeah, to make sure everything's above board and, yeah. and whatever. And, they're, and the, they're, they're regulated, the insolvency practitioners, by their regulatory bodies, and they obviously have to sign to say everything is above board. The other type is, um, is a compulsory liquidation, so not voluntary, compulsory. And what this is, is where a, um, where a creditor approaches an insolvency company to come and, um, to come and take over the company um, as the company no longer has the ability to, pa to pay the debt. So it's missed the payment. And this is where you see the winding up petitions. Got you. That all sort of makes sense. So it's it's quite it sounds it's it sounds a bit messy and sounds a bit funky, but effectively, if the company's solvent, so when I say solvent, it means it's got a um, positive balance sheet, yeah, and it's still got sort of cash in the bank and whatever, and it's still okay to continue. They just decide it doesn't, and the other side, you've got negative balance sheet and no cash. Then effectively, that's when the creditors can can potentially get involved. Okay. There, there is effectively what what's a compulsory. Um, well, I will touch on it a second ago, which is a compulsory liquidation. Yeah. And that's where effectively um, the, like what happened to Worcester Warriors yeah. with their winding up orders from, from HMRC. Um, and that's generally part of, a, of, an, of an insolvent company. So the company hasn't got enough money to pay its debts. Yeah. You get a winding up petition come in from HMRC. You see them quite, quite, quite a lot now, actually, to be fair, particularly for, you hear them in the press from yeah. HMRC. You, you don't hear from anywhere else. No, they tend to go after high profile names, don't they? Well, yes, yes, they they, 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 don't, they don't come after the, the small fry ones. But again, that would still be have to go through, you know, the, the insolvency practitioners, the administrators, yeah. those sort of the people get involved then at that point. Brilliant. Okay. So when you're in liquidation, then do yeah. you carry on trading? So so once once the once it's in liquidation, no, it basically it ceased to trade. So as soon as the decision's been made to, to liquidate, yeah, that's it. It it, it stops. Okay, so the so the basically as soon as the decision decision has been made, generally if the company's you know insolvent, yeah, you can't trade insolvent. Got you. So so that point, and and if if you can, you are caught with that, then you you can get yourself in a bit of trouble. Um, and you can also be caught if you're trading insolvent and you're taking money out that realistically you see as dividends. Then if you go to liquidation, then you've got to pay that money back. Yeah. Yeah, you okay. can't pay dividends if the reserves aren't there. Correct, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you are at that point, you are trading insolvently, and, yeah. and you should you shouldn't be doing that. Um, and you know, if if you are caught doing that sort of things, or the insolvency practitioner, or anybody sort of, you know, you get convicted of that sort of thing, that can carry a prison sentence as well. That is a criminal offense. Prison as well. It's quite prison. serious. Then. Yeah, very, very. Yeah, yeah. That can actually you can you can actually um, be you can get. Uh, prison, worse, 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 worse yeah. case without trying to scare everybody on here. But also, you can be banned from being a director for up to fifteen years. So it, it can. So trading insolvent on that sort of things can get you in a bit in a bit of trouble. So it's something really, if you are considering closing your business down um, for for multitude of reasons, really, it's worth speaking to the insolvency practitioners um, and actually finding out their view before yeah. you click the button to go and liquidate. Because if you go and liquidate. 
and you owe the company, say, you know, 15, 20, 30,000, yeah. you've got to pay that back to the people you owe money to. Got you. So, for instance, if you've got an overdrawn director's loan account, yes. that would have to be repaid. Correct. Before, you know, and if, and if you try to liquidate whilst you've got one, the liquidators go into termine and say, any chance we can have the £15,000 back? And at which point, if you haven't got that £15,000, that's when you start looking at your personal situation. That's where you might go down the bankruptcy route. So it can spiral out of control quite quickly. But really, if you are in those sort of situations, you know, the, the, the liquidation, um, the insolvency practitioners are really important. Got you. So it sounds like you need to do some uh, forward planning. And, uh... and forward planning, there you go. Forward planning, there we go. It's there. It's there. You know, and, and those, those, you know, it's, as I say, it's, it's something that's worth you know, considering if you are in a position. Yeah, got you. So what are the advantages and disadvantages of a liquidation then? Well, there's, there's there's a lot more advantages and disadvantages that come with it. Um, you know, so the main advantages are it removes, obviously, the, the, the pressure of being, um, uh, removes the pressure from the directors of being, being chased by people for debts, obviously, that, that's first and foremost. Um, as I said, you know, if it's an independent person is signed to say that that company's got no money, it obviously it stops um, there being a chance to chase. Um, so if you were to just close your company down, just effectively strike it off the register yeah. by yourself, you don't have that sort of protection that comes with it. Um, it allows time basically for for you to be to be able to sort of for somebody else to be able to collect in the money from the assets and and offset that against the um, the, the debts that that, that, are sat, that are sat there. It allows the opportunity for, for the directors and, and or shareholders to purchase the assets off the company at what's called a fair value. Got so the liquidator will, or the liquidator or solvency practitioner will agree that's a, that's a fair value for that car or whatever. You can say, yes, if you've got a car in the company that you want to keep afterwards, you can buy it off the company. Yeah, correct. An agreed value with the, with the liquidator. So it's an independent person that's, got, that's come in there that's, you know, and then therefore, so you might liquidate, say, I don't know, company A and want to continue because company A hasn't worked out or whatever, yeah. but you want to then, you know, go into company B to continue the trade. Okay, you might be in there, but let's just say it's, it's me and you, me and you, our business doesn't work, but actually I think that I can make it work by myself. So what, what, what you've done in the business and, and hasn't necessarily worked. So we want to go, I want to go and do it myself, but yeah. I want to buy the machines. But okay. I'm not, the machines aren't owned by me and you, they're owned by the limited company. So I can then agree with the liquidator to be able to buy them, buy, buy, buy them up at, a, at a, an agreed rate and then go into my own company and continue the trade. Got you. Okay. Um, it, so it offers a, a clean break. Um, so at, at the point the company's liquidated, it's effectively like sort of, you know, um, completely gone. So um, all the history, like there can be no claims. There can be no claims, no. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's gone at that point. You know, the company's got no money. The company's struck off the off the register. The company's gone, and the directors are free to go off and do what they want to do. Um, and also, it's quite quite an interesting one is if you've got employees, right? Well, if you go and liquidate, it gives employees a chance to claim redundancy from the from what's left within the company. And also, there are government uh, government schemes available to go to claim that. Okay. okay. So the business, so effectively, their job has gone at that point. Yeah. So they can therefore access the government schemes. Yeah, it's a good point that. So when you think talking about liquidating, it's people's livelihoods, isn't there, that yeah. you're talking about, isn't it? It's not so, just the shareholders and and, yeah. and, the, and the and you know and the directors if they're a small owner managed company. It's yeah. the employees. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 it affects a lot of people. So yeah, and and also when if you if you do, then the the liquidators' costs are paid um, once the company assets are, are, are sold. So the, the liquidator gets paid out of 
effectively what's left from the company. Okay, yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? So having to liquidate it does bring in those costs as well that they're going to charge the company for doing it. Yeah, they charge the company, not the directors, because yeah. the company's going to liquidation, not the directors. Yeah. Again, same as bankruptcy. Bankruptcy is an individual, liquidation is a limited company. Yeah. So they're not going bankrupt, the company is realistically. So therefore, any fees and whatever yeah. relate and are charged out of the limited company's part. So I know what you're going to ask me next, but I'll let you ask. Go on. <laughs> well, the disadvantages then, we've heard uh, positives there. There's, yeah, there's an awful lot of positives. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, as there's always there was always a spin-off of, of what the you know what what are the um what what are the, the, the bad side of things. Well, obviously, we just we said earlier on that the company can no longer trade. Well, once the liquidation process started, it can't trade as ABC Limited, you know, ABC yeah. or whatever. ABC Limited has has ceased. has ceased. So therefore, you can't trade as ABC Limited anymore. Um, or or as a similar name, really. So you, could, you couldn't, I mean, you could do ABCD Limited, but you couldn't have ABC Limited Limited. Right. Obviously, it's one of the same thing. Yeah. Or even pick up the name, because once that company's in liquidation, it's then the name still exists, but you probably wouldn't want to use the name of the company that's liquidated. Yes, the reputation's <laughs> probably not going to be there, is it? <laughs> Potentially not. It depends if it's a solvent or insolvent one, I suppose, yeah, isn't yeah, it? True. You know? Um, once the once the liquidation starts, any trading that that has continued that business basically, if you if you continue to trade with that business in liquidation, you can be prosecuted. Okay, that can be you know sort of not being allowed to be a director anymore. That can be you know penalties, which which whatever you know yeah. whatever the, the, the standards are at that at that time. Um, but you can get yourself in real trouble continuing to trade through a liquidated um, or business in liquidation. Um, and the, the assets and, the, and then you know the the assets reputation licenses anything to do with that will will actually be removed from company ownership so you right. can actually you know lose things you've built up so yeah. if you've got patents if you've got those sort of things that you know trademarks they're gonna they will go um, with the company yeah 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 and but the liquidator could at that point try and sell them so okay. the liquidator could try and sell them to you know anybody could then buy that off they could go to open market they could go wherever so yeah. you have got the opportunity to buy it, but it could not be at a rate you can afford. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, and also any tax losses you've got that, that have existing in that that company disappear. Lost. So yeah, well, they belong to the company, don't they? Yeah. So the, the company's losses, so they're they're not they're not in they disappear completely. Go. You've got no way you can get those back. Yeah, I suppose the company won't be doing tax returns going forward, will it? So it's not trading. Yeah. Well, it shouldn't be trading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's where you get prosecuted. Yeah. So yeah, so you've got to really think. You know, you've got to be very proactive. If you're going to thinking of liquidating a, a limited company which has got tax losses, you should really consider the situation of those tax losses, and if anything can be done with them before you liquidate. Yeah. Because once you liquidate and press the button. Those liquid those losses realistically are are, are gone because a liquidator is not going to try and realise a tax loss. He can't. No, it's not legal. Can't yeah. sell it. You know, obviously, you know, it's not nice to have losses, but if you've got a successful other arm to your business and you want to try and utilise yeah, the group, sort of thing, yeah, you, you want to prepare with, yeah. don't you? you want to prepare before you liquidate. <laughs> You're living this year now, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just catching it off you. I think I don't, know, I don't know what's happening to me. To be honest, I think I'm just. You know, I spent far too much, far too much um, time with you. That's <laughs> yeah, the problem. That's it. <laughs> so with, with, I've mentioned all the good things. Yeah. And all the bad, well, most of the bad things. But there are some other little bits that that, that exist. Things called, not things called bounce back loans. 
this so, with COVID and everything. This is thinking back to the with COVID, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so during so during COVID, um, you've, I'm sure most people have saw that the nice things uh, went went out there, and they were called bounce back loans. So the idea of those were you could take a loan um, that was government backed um, from from the from the banks based on your turnover. Got you. So what you could do then is you could borrow up to fifty thousand pounds. And obviously, it's a loan, so there's no tax net at that point. Have the money in the bank to help you effectively bounce back from, from COVID to help your cash flow. Yeah, so they were giving these out relatively easy, weren't they? Yes. Because they needed to get the money out there so quickly. Yeah. It was backed by the government. They were quite flexible. It was an online form, wasn't it? Yeah. So, you, you, so though, but at that point, they didn't ask you for any, um, any back-in. They just asked you what your turnover was. Yeah. And that was all they wanted. I'm not going to go to Sybil's loans because that, that was a slightly larger amount um, but most most limited companies that I deal with on a probably day to day basis have got bounce back loans in them. Yeah. And speaking to a couple of liquidators, um, they have said that most common, or they in fact in every liquidation at the moment they're seeing bounce back loans. Now, this is this actually made me sort of this is quite a, well quite common apparently, and I didn't I, I couldn't believe this to be fair. People tried to so somebody a couple of weeks ago tried to liquidate, having taken a bounce back loan. In their limited company, the limited company turned well had sales of two thousand pounds, so two thousand pounds wouldn't be enough income to be able to borrow at the time the fifty thousand. Yeah, they borrowed the fifty thousand, took the money out of the limited company. So not only have they borrowed the money on on turnover that they didn't have, they've also taken the money out to go and buy themselves a nice sports car. Oh. Well, unfortunately, they weren't able to liquidate because they've had to pay most of the forty thousand pounds back. Well, they, they, they were able to liquidate, but they had to pay back the money Ooh, for the so, loan they took. So he's had to sell that sports car. So he's had to sell, well, I assume so. <laughs> he didn't, didn't go into too much detail on what, what happened. Um, but but yeah, and, and, and the liquid, so they, they've been tasked, those, the insolvency practitioners have all been tasked to anybody who's tried to liquidate with uh, a bounce back loan, which wasn't used within the trade. And that's the important thing here. If you're taking a bounce back loan and you used it for the for the rules and the reasons that you were supposed to have done. Yeah. So that was, you know, to really, if, if you needed to take the money out to um, fund, you know, you sort of, your, your living costs for what, while you had it or use it within the trade or use yeah. it for the, for, for the reasons that they'll put out there. You've got nothing to worry about. You can liquidate for that. But if you're taking it to buy a sports car or a yacht or something else, I'm going to buy a yacht for 50 I was going to say, what's that? You're going for 50 grand, bump for the back. Oh, I don't think some of your circles, Mark. I wouldn't, I've never been on a yacht. But, um, but you know, if, if, you, if you, you know, they've used it for things they shouldn't have done. And and, that, and those are the people that haven't need to, need to really worry about it. Got you. So they changed the rules back in December 2021 on liquidations with, with loans in. And made it if you've got a bounce back loan, you can't. So they, they, they've got to then look at the in particulars of what you use that for. Okay. So if if you've if you've taken it and then the day the same day you put twenty five thousand pounds into your personal account and then kept twenty five thousand in the business, the liquidators aren't going to look too favourable on that because they're going to want to know what you're taking that money for. Yeah. Okay. Um, so and what 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 would happen? So obviously, if you do liquidate and you've got one of those those in there. The liquidator would probably well will advise you to pay that back. If you don't and you haven't used the bounce and you haven't used the bounce back loan for what it should have done, then there's a there's a discipline process for that. And mm -hmm. you know, ultimately goes back to us looking at um, you know, disqualification as director, um, personal, personally liable for the um for the for the, for the loan. Oh, so they can do that, can lift up the corporate rail and yeah, like yeah. You liable for the loan. They can remove the value of incorporation at that yeah. point, yeah, and then say, no, no, actually you didn't use it for what it should have been. 
and they're, they're giving them extra powers and they have to report that to their um again regulatory body and uh, the insurance practitioners and yeah. has to tell them look we've got a liquidation here going through um you should, they've, they've, they've taken the balance back loan they haven't used it for business purposes so you know and at that point the regulatory body has to decide whether they allow the liquidation or not or pursue or allow the liquidation and pursue the directors with the money got you yeah it's, it's, it's a messy messy business to be fair Obviously, we did a blog on um, on that on the on the uh, bounce back loan. Yeah, I don't know if you read it. I did. Yeah, it was, it was quite a, quite an, quite an interesting read yeah. to be fair. And actually, those new rules, not many people are. I think they came, I think they passed the legislation back in December twenty twenty one. Yeah, and then it came into force sort of early twenty twenty two. That's it. There's been so many changes, so it's hard for people to keep up. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, we, we, say, we say it's about all it's changing all the time. It is, it? it is. But that's why we do blogs. So check out, yeah, blogs check, out if you're uh, blog out on the website. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's some, there's always new new topics on there, varying topics really. They're not all to do with you know just accounts and what the tax rates have changed. There's things like that. The yeah, back topical changes things, yeah. And, and and yeah. Keep yourself up to date. Absolutely, well, absolutely. And that's the thing, isn't it? That's what we put them out there for, ideally. So yeah, so. When I was talking to the the, the liquidator, we came up with um, with with a few things for me for me to mention here actually to sort of go through yeah so, some some sort of interesting things in, in in his world. So you know he said about the um, obviously the bounce back loans have got to be um, used for correctly. Um, obviously, if they have been using the business, as I said then obviously we don't want to you know scare everybody no, no, and fine. say oh no it's, you don't, please don't you know if you if you have used it for the right reasons and you want to liquidate. That's absolutely yeah. fine. You know, obviously that they, they, they not, they're not going to do so here for that one. Um, obviously, I said that they're looking at um the the regulatory body that they've got um to, to report to for bounce back loans and what they've used for is actually part of HMRC. Um, and actually they've set up separate departments to look at purely bounce back loans and furlough claims when a company goes into liquidation or administration. Yeah. It's not surprising though, is it? Because they gave up so much money, and they want to go back. Yeah, so <laughs> so little checks, they just want to get it out so quickly. Exactly, they're always going to come down and scrutinise, isn't it? It's and then they go through every, and they, they they are doing stop checks on certain claims. Yeah. Aren't they? We're seeing those come through. We've seen them come through probably the last probably twelve months or so yeah. now. Um, but even more so, if they look at you know if a company goes to liquidation, they've got bounce back loans and furlough claims. They will look into what they were. It sounds weird to have furlough claims. That seems so yeah. some ago. Brings back um, bad memories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely not, wasn't it? So and and obviously, you know, he also mentioned to reiterate that the fact that you know insolvency practitioners um, are expected to look at um, bounce back loans and and, and furloughs and equal liquidation to look at was as I say was the bounce back loan used correctly? Yeah, was the turnover multiple correct? Because as I said, people have put two thousand pounds in and uh, got themselves a nice little sports car. Um, was it was it used correctly? One of the banks has, has teamed up um, to have a look at um, whether the funds were used correctly and sort of help from the, from that side of things as right. well. Okay. So you've got a lot of resource looking at these these claims, and you can imagine coming into you know twenty twenty. We're already doing it now. It's coming into a new year when cost of living's going up. Yeah, you know everything's going up around. One of the key things that I'm hearing about is I don't think I can afford my balance back loan. I don't think I can afford you know all these sort of things that have crept up on us. And people are really talking about going into liquidation or, or or whatever. It's not all doom and gloom. Obviously, there are more there are business setups and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. But it's becoming a, a a topic we're hearing an awful lot about. So obviously, the the the, the furlough um, stopped in September 2021. Now, how long ago did that feel? It was like it was a long, long, long time yeah. ago. 
But what they're going to be looking at is to make sure that whether, you know, people increase their salaries to be able to make sure they can claim more furlough. Got you. So, yeah, because it was capped on what you were being paid at the time, isn't it? So the- Correct. It was, and it was a maximum of £3,000 at yeah. the time. I, could, I, I think remember it was, that. yeah. Um, so what they've, um, so that so they're making sure that people haven't increased their salaries or changed things to be able to make sure a larger, larger claim. Yeah. And then therefore use the money personally to be able to, you know, it, it's, it's all about them making sure that everything's in the right place. Yeah. This isn't something a director has to look for. It's what the the insolvency practitioners have to look for, and, and part of that part of their process is to to go through these. Got you. So how far back would the liquidator go normally then when they're looking at this? So well, they're not going to look much before the back the bounce back loan, obviously, and the and the um, and the furlough because they're the two key things they're looking for. So bounce back loans. When did they start? They probably started probably right about July twenty twenty. Yeah, it might be a little bit earlier. Yeah. That yeah, yeah, it was around about then because obviously yeah. COVID, COVID, obviously we had lockdown. March, April, 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 you instruct instruct a, a liquidator. Going to speak to a liquidator, you know, obviously first and foremost, they're not liquidating you at that point. Yeah. So you can have an honest conversation with them if they they sort of and then pre- sort of prepare for liquidation. You know, if if, if there is about an overdraw or loan account, if your accountant hasn't just discussed that with you, then really, um, you know, the, the liquidator will say, look, you know, when you get a liquidator, make sure that you know, or, or if we were to liquidate today, you'd have to pay back sixteen thousand. Yeah. Or whatever it is. So therefore, if you have got an overdraw account and you are going to go into liquidation, you need to be aware of those sort of things. And that's why those conversations happen. You know, and actually, you might think you're an insolvent company, and actually, you're not. Yeah. When they look at it, they might say, "Well, actually, none of your insolvent liquidation," which makes obviously, I assume, I'm not, I'm not an insolvency practitioner, but they're sort of things different. Yeah. And they're still going to look into bounce back loans and all those sort of things. It doesn't suddenly go away. Um, <laughs> but it's something we're hearing quite quite a lot of. So it's just something we've got to go through you know, and be aware of, really. Yeah. Okay. And don't don't so, be scared of it. Don't be scared of it. Don't, don't be scared <laughs> of you it. Scared me. You scared me. You're putting me in prison area and binds and all sorts. Well, yeah, only, only if you're not in the right way. If you're doing yeah. it for the right reasons in the right way and you actually structure it in the right way, you'll be absolutely fine. Yeah. But if you're thinking of doing it, you can come and speak to us in the first instance. Yeah, yeah, as well. yeah. And we work with a lot of, you know, with a, with a, lot, of, a lot of professionals, not yeah. just liquidations, so with, with a lot of. Lot yeah. of things, but because it, obviously we've already got that relationship with our clients, so we can have a conversation with you about how it could work, and then yeah, we point you in the direction of a liquidation. At least give you an idea of, of where everything's going to sit, and then yeah. you know, and it's just making you know. Generally, when people think of liquidation, they think of a company is failing. It's not a very good business. It's all you know, it's all doom and gloom. And actually, some of them just you know, and I was, I was speaking speaking to him the other day, and I said I said so, ask them about um, you know, whether it's people not performing in business and they go in because they've got no money. Yeah. And actually it's a, it's a strong mix at the moment. People are restructuring their businesses. So therefore they've got branches they don't need anymore yeah. or they're consolidating their interests or actually some of them are obviously businesses, their, their trades disappeared. Right. You can imagine yeah. after COVID things have sort of boomed a little bit and have come back down again. So yeah. we're all, yeah. 
Could it be people retiring as well? Could it be people retiring. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's no succession. No one's taking the business, yeah. so they're just going to naturally come to an end. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, so it's, it's it's not all doom and gloom. Yeah. Business is going to be a bad thing. Yeah. You mentioned insolvency practitioner, and all of a sudden everyone gets a bit <laughs> scared. But it's not. It's 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 you know same as us. We do with many many different yeah. situations, scenarios, reasons. So it's all just going through why. Got you. Oh, I've learned quite a lot there, Neil. I don't think I've got any more questions. Got no questions. I didn't say. What are you staff? You're sweating a bit, though. No, no. I've learned a lot there. But... You can tell I'm an expert on this, can't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like you. It's like you on the uh, on your topics that I grill you on. Yeah, that's it. No, you're, I'm surprised you haven't grilled me as hard as I expected, though. Well, I'm hoping that mean you'll go easy on me in the future. I mean, mm. probably won't. I can't, but... I can't promise. I can't promise <laughs> on any of these things to be fair. But okay. Okay, I'll try and go. It's easy on you anyway. No, you do. To be fair, it's, uh, it's all about getting the information out there. Absolutely, and you know, there's no point having you have all the information and not sharing it. Yeah, exactly. I'll coax it out sometimes. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's everything on liquidations. That, but if you have got any any further questions about the VAT or about um, the, the liquidations, please contact us. Us on oh one nine oh five. Triple seven six hundred, and they can they can phone us or they can WhatsApp yeah. us, can't they? WhatsApp, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, WhatsApp has been actually quite busy to be fair recently, um, which is nice. So we'll have loads more questions for, yeah. for future topics that we've got coming up. That's it. Yeah, if there's anything you want us to discuss, let us know. Thank you for listening today, and thanks to our special guests, our VAT experts, and our very own Neil Sager. <laughs> I hope you've learned as much as we have on VAT and the insolvency. Next time, we're going to be looking at apprenticeships and more with our HR experts. If you've got any questions you want on that, feel free to WhatsApp us on what's the number, Neil? 01905 777 600. That's it. Until next time, thank you very much.